Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. <laughs> Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtless. This show was heard on WBCQ, The Planet, every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. <coughs> Eastern Standard Time. It's also heard on ipmnation.org or .com uh, Saturday afternoons at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And IPM is, a, uh, is an online source. It's a 24-hour news and uh, talk source, so please uh, check that out. You can also watch us on, C- not C-SPAN, but YouTube. We take these uh, audios and convert them to video, and um, most of our shows you can hear. uh, You can go to our Camp Constitution YouTube channel, and we do recommend that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Not only do you do that, but also like our Facebook uh, page, Camp Constitution. And um, this uh, show is brought to you by Camp Constitution. You can find us on the net, campconstitution.net. And uh, among other things, we run a week-long, week-and-a-day-long summer camp. <coughs> and our next camp will be from July 2nd to the 9th of 2017, so please check that out. Uh, lots of things happening the last week or so. Uh, President Donald Trump uh, issued a number of executive orders, and he's getting some people very happy and some people very upset. Um, I'm sort of a mixed bag. Uh, the executive orders, executive orders are legitimate things that presidents can do to sort of administer the office or the executive branch. The problem with some executive orders is that they overstep their bounds. For example, the president can instruct cabinet members through an executive order. He can um, it's, it can uh, uphold the law. Uh, one of the executive orders, which I loved. <clears throat> Even people on the left, like Bernie Sanders and some of the Democrats, as they call them, Rust Belt area Democrats, um, basically uh, President Trump said no to the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And what I liked about that is that uh, it was this was years in the making. The the uh, internationalists. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to shake this cough. Anyway, the internationalists in both parties, globalists, love this uh, TPP. I know that Hillary Clinton was a big supporter. John McCain uh, and his ilk also are very big supporters of the erosion of our national sovereignty. So this was a good thing. Um, there was a couple there that he signed that I'm not quite sure. The um, a 90-day moratorium on immigrants or visitors, uh, visas and what have you, from certain Muslim countries. Now, these nations may have been identified as state sponsors of terrorism. Um, there is a law about this. So it may be, in a way, I'm glad it happened. I just whether or not it was totally, a, totally constitutional. I would guess that it was because he's simply upholding 
the law, I think it was uh, under Title Eight, dealing with uh, immigrants and so forth. I mean, you, if you have communicable diseases, if you are a criminal, uh, many, many things that you, know, you just don't come into this country. And as a sovereign nation, we have every responsibility to protect the interest of the American people uh, and not have people from these backgrounds come in. So uh, that's that's most likely a constitutional uh, executive order. <clears throat> Over the years, there's been lots of executive orders that have been totally unconstitutional. Obama really enjoyed uh, writing executive orders. One of them was not to deport the uh, <coughs> the uh, parents of those children born here illegally, and that was a violation, of course. The law is the law, and he just decided to tell, to tell his um, his uh, Border Patrol, Immigration, INS, not to enforce certain things. So to, to say that you can't enforce certain things is not his job. If he doesn't like a law, then he might find a sponsor in Congress to pass a bill, and then it becomes law. He had trouble getting his um, immigration reform through Congress, even though many Republicans backed it, but it, it didn't go through, thankfully. I know that I think it went through the Senate, but it would have been another amnesty, and more and more uh, illegal aliens would have come here. And by the way, the United States is the most generous nation in the world when it comes to immigration, and I don't quite understand that. We, we don't have an obligation to let everybody and anybody in this country. And what's, what's fascinating is that the people on the left will claim how evil and wicked and racist this country is. Well, why would people of color, people from the Muslim background and uh, Haitians, and why would they want to come to a country that will evil, exploit them? It doesn't make any sense. If we're so wicked and evil, why do they want to all come here? I don't see people lining up to go to Haiti. I don't see people lining up to, uh, unless it's the Clinton Foundation, to, to make money off their uh, their miserable, uh, you know, problems they've have have there. But I don't see people lining up to go to Cuba. And as far as refugees, yes, our heart goes out for the people, especially in Syria, that are suffering under policies that were in part created by our country. I should say elements within our country. But we just can't take everybody that wants to come here. I mean, we would have billions of people, and there's ways to help. I mean, look at these Muslim countries. Why don't they take the Syrian refugees? Why don't why doesn't Turkey take them? You know why why don't they just why do they why are they coming to Western Europe and the United States? In fact, to me, it would be almost a cruel thing to put somebody from a from a Muslim culture totally different than our culture in our country, you know, move them here. Um, there were Somalians that were moved to Lewiston, Maine. Now, Lewiston, Maine is a economically depressed. Uh, Post post industrial town, uh, unemployment rate is high, uh, and they came there. It's, it's cold too in Maine. Uh, it's gonna you got cold winters, and they took people from an from a arid country with a different culture, and they brought them to Maine. They do the same thing in Minnesota. They brought Somalis and what have you. Things just don't work out well, uh, and that's just the, you know, again. Uh, and it is this idea of assimilation. People are used to assimilate. They'd come here, maybe the parents, the older parents, they might learn broken English, but they, they inculcate the values of the United States. We have neighbors. Uh, my neighbor next door here in Boston is uh, from Hong Kong. He has an accent. He served in the U.S. Army. His son is an American. I mean, true and true. He's, you know, he, he might be of Chinese ancestry, but he's an American because he just was born here and he assimilated. And the parents, 
encouraged that. They didn't say, no, you, you don't learn English. You just learn Mandarin or whatever language they speak, and you don't uh, adopt the, the mores and, and values. Of course, there are some values that we I can understand not wanting to adopt some of the countercultural things that have become um, accepted in our in our culture today. So there's another thing that's uh, very troubling is the sanctuary cities uh, that mayors, certain mayors around the country are embracing. A sanctuary city, basically the so-called liberal or progressive mayor, mayors or in city council will say, if you're an illegal alien, you can come here, stay here, and you might get arrested if you commit a violent felony, but other than that, everything's cool. Well, that's really a nullification of a legitimate act of Congress. See, Congress, under Article 1, Section 8, determines the immigration policy. So they can set the standards. You come here. You have to have certain things in order. You have to have a visa. You issued a green card. There's a background check to make sure you don't uh, have a communicable disease or you're a criminal or you're a terrorist or an anarchist or what have you. Then you can come here. Uh, for a certain amount of time, and then at some point, maybe I think a green card is almost a permanent resident status. But there's also policies you got to deal with immigration. So, <clears throat> but people come here illegally, they've broken our law. And uh, in Boston's Marty Walsh, Marty Walsh is a born and raised Bostonian with an Irish Catholic background, but he's sort of uh, completely uh, abandoned that perspective. He's embraced the, the far left agenda. He was a big Hillary Clinton supporter. He said that the, the, uh, he's not going to – he calls them undocumented workers. <clears throat> I can't get into City Hall you know, without going through a screening. So there is border patrols at City Hall. But you see – but if you come here <clears throat> without, the, uh, without any documentation, that makes you an illegal immigration. I mean immigrant. That means you came here breaking the law of the United States. And incidentally, every country in the world has immigration policies. Some are lax. Most are very difficult. And uh, you try to sneak into Mexico on the southern border, and they will shoot you. That's the fact that they, people don't, don't want to. North Korea, if you come into North Korea illegally, you are most likely considered a spy, and you will be tried and most likely executed or given a life sentence. You come into our country, not only are you given food stamps and all kinds of benefits, but you're protected by people in both p- political parties. And what Walsh is doing is basically illegal, and he should be given a cease to desist order, and not if not placed under arrest. Of course, he'll be a, a martyr to some, but at some point mm-hmm. this has to stop. He has an obligation. He took an oath to defend the Constitution, not to defend the Constitution of Mexico, but the Constitution of the United States. So, I'm going to get on to our. Recent uh, tour of Robert Brown, our last show, we had Robert Brown on. He was a a constitutional scholar, and when I introduced him at the various uh, places, I referred said that he's a scholar. That that means that he's most likely not an attorney. Unfortunately, most attorneys are not trained in the Constitution. They're trained in case law and how a Supreme Court justice may have applied the case, may have applied the Constitution to the case, but they're not constitutionalists. But Robert is a, does a, did an incredible job. Now, we didn't have big turnouts. I was disappointed by the small turnouts we had, the evening pr- programs, but we did have people of influence there. So, <clears throat> you know, our Constitution's on the chopping block. And well, the first night, we had Robert in, um, we picked him up Tuesday, uh, Bo- we picked him up in Boston at the airport, 
and that was uh, <coughs> my good friend Adrian Villa was primarily responsible for. He covered most of his expenses, hotels, airline, and um, his honorarium and all. So I a special thanks to Adrian Villa. But anyway, um, Tuesday we were we did an in law um, in studio show, the Rich Gerard Gerard at Large show, W L M V. WLMV uh, FM station in Manchester. Rich is a good friend of ours. His uh, children attend Camp Constitution. Then we did a press conference at the State House. Now, when they do a press conference, there's a, it's a good chance that no member of the press will show up. And that's what happened. Well, actually, we did have. We had Channel 9 show up. We had a press conference on this subject a few years ago, and we had a lot of media coverage. And of course, when we had Reverend Stevie Kraft in Maine, on an unrelated issue, uh, we had a full house. We had uh, television and print media. But only one channel showed up, and uh, the uh, some a few folks from the Convention of States also were there. But we made some good points. We had Al Baldessaro, state rep, uh, who was a state rep that uh, opposes an Article 5, as well as Janine Nodder and Karen Testerman, another talk show host. And Karen has run for office. Her husband serves in the New Hampshire House. and. <clears throat> then we had a luncheon inviting state legislators, and we had about 15 on hand, and they got a good uh, abbreviated version of the presentation. Uh, one, I think two of the sponsors of the Article 5 resolution were there at last year's uh, support were, were on hand, and one of them was a very young man. I can't remember his name. Nice fellow, and he said that he mainly did it to sort of a, as a way to discuss the issue. And I just said to him, you really don't want to play Russian roulette with the Constitution. Although the big issue in New Hampshire isn't any new um, application for an Article 5. It's actually the one that they passed in 2012 calling for a balanced budget amendment. That's we got to get that repealed. The other uh, calls uh, or applications, the Wolfpack version and the Convention of States version, those two entities, the Wolfpack only has five states that passed a resolution so far and in four or five years and the convention of states has eight um both organizations especially convention of states is very well funded my goodness um but anyway robert brown uh, so tuesday uh, then after we did the um press conference the luncheon and then we had a another in studio this was uh, in the same station but a different venue different location and there was uh there was six six panelists and it was very engaging good show and then we had an evening presentation. Again, small turnout. We had some bad weather that Tuesday night, but we should, still should have had more folks. And then Wednesday, mm-hmm. a press conference at the State House in Maine. Well, what was uh, billed as a press conference, not one member of the press showed up, but we had about 15 or 16 Convention of States people on hand, uh, led by their, um, their New England director or Northeast director, Ken Quinn. And Robert Brown did an incredible job. He handled their questions incredibly. Did a wonderful job handling their questions. <clears throat> One of the things came up when there's always the idea of what's the solution. Okay, so you folks don't have an Article Five convention. What's your solution? And we say we're glad you asked. We're glad you asked. And what, uh, what Robert Robert mentioned that the founders, you know, gave the gave the solutions. <clears throat> and one of them was interposition or nullification. And uh, Ken Quinn uh, disputed that, and he says, well. Uh, James Madison did support nullification, but he changed his mind, and he did this in a letter, and it was a very strongly worded letter. Something about nullification leads to 
revolution. I can't remember the exact quote. Uh, then Robert Brown challenged him on that letter. He said, uh, well, he did write that letter, but then two months later, he reaffirmed his support of nullification. So the guy's either bipolar or something else is happening. And he asked Ken, uh, did you read the letter? And he said, what's in that letter? He says, well, there's a lot of things in the letter. He says, well, yes. And he said he was referring to a specific um, nullification proposal by the state of South Carolina, which was unconstitutional. It was uh, against the tariffs. We referred to it as the tariff of, of, of abominations. And not only did the resolution, uh, did they, they, their call for nullification was unconstitutional because, like it or not, tariffs are something that Congress is allowed to do, you know, to regulate trade with the foreign nations, Article 1, Section 8. So they were protesting a, a, a legitimate act of Congress, not an illegitimate act. Like, for example, the Sedition and Alien Sedition Acts back in 1798. Uh, so, um, so that was the issue there. It wasn't that. Uh, so it's very easy to take things out of context. <coughs> And you make a general um, assertion based on that letter that was taken out of context. So James Madison did not oppose nullification. He just opposed that particular that particular nullification act. Um, a few other things that Robert brought up that I was unaware, and I've been following this issue for many years. Um, the the notion that the convention of 1787 uh, wasn't a runaway. <coughs> is strongly held by Convention of States people, but it really easily refuted if you just look at the at the commissions, the various letters that were sent, uh, uh, resolutions by the states. And But this is the kicker here. Rhode Island didn't show up, uh, but the state of Rhode Island sent a letter to the convention saying that no matter what you do, you still have to run it by us, and we have to approve before it becomes the law of the land under article 13 of the articles of confederation which was by the way the last article any changes have to be approved not only by the congress but also by the several states and that means majority it means all states now it doesn't mean three or four but all the states so that was an interesting uh, interesting fact the other interesting thing that i wasn't aware is that uh, congress the under articles of confederation did not vote on the new constitution they transmitted it but they did not vote they didn't approve or disapprove and one of the delegates uh one of the members of congress said i think it was richard henry lee said that they didn't have the authority so so by tr the act of transmittal looks like an act of approval but it was not approved or disapproved they say it's not our job and then it was brought to the states it was supposed to be uh, under the old constitution to amend it you had to get 100 percent under the new constitution it was uh three-fourths <clears throat> and the the argument is well did uh, is the constitution illegal obviously if you said it was a runaway and robert brown handled that one very well he said uh well they did exceed their their um the tenor of their commission and that was uh, admitted by james madison i think it was federalist 40. <coughs> Or 43, you have to double check that. But they appealed to the people, and under the Declaration of Independence, they had the right to alter or abolish a government. So the people were the final, the final authority. So uh, they did. Uh, there's no question that they exceeded their their um, instructions, and that means that they can do the same thing today. 
That's the precedent. And under Article 5 Convention, the Constitution doesn't say that it can be limited or not limited. And maybe the delegates will say, okay, we're just down here to wherever the convention will be held, up here or down here, um, wherever, whatever part of the world you're living in. Uh, they might say, okay, we're just going to come here and uh, my, my, my state says balanced budget amendment. That's all we're going to discuss. But there can be delegates from all other parts of the country and they might say, yeah, mine says that too. However, we've got a few things that we'd like to put on the table and who's going to stop them? You're going to have a state policeman from New Hampshire coming down to arrest a state delegate say, you can't do that. No, I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, and one of the... Um, the groups on the left, they have some, some serious plans for the Constitution. One of them is to simply change the Second Amendment, not to repeal it, but just to put in while serving in the militia. Five words. Five words will dramatically change that. And, and then also the idea of getting rid of the Electoral College. <clears throat> you see, the Electoral College uh, gets people – if your person didn't – if you're – Gal or guy did not win the presidential election with the popular vote, but won it on the electoral college. They get they don't like it. They say, well, now it's time to get rid of the electoral college. Electoral college is a very important aspect of our country. You see, the states, state, state officials are the ones that got together and wrote the constitution. And the debate was that states with small populations would sort of be swallowed up. They wouldn't have as much influence. States with large populations would sort of carry the day. So why would you, if you were Rhode Island, for example, why would you want to agree to a document that may strip a lot, strip your rights away? You'd have very little say in what's going on because the states with larger populations, with larger delegations, would, ha- would, ha- would carry the day. Uh, today, you, you would look at California and New York and maybe uh, Pennsylvania, some of the larger states with all the electoral votes, they would pretty much carry the day. Um, so if you're based on popular, just California itself with its large population, um, California has a political climate that's uh, hostile to liberty and freedom. And these, these are the folks that would have more control over Montana and New Hampshire and Vermont and all these other sm- smaller states. So why is it in the best interest of a small state with a small population to go along with something like this popular uh, vote? Um, the founders gave a good reason. And by the way, the president of the United States is not supposed to be the most powerful person in the world. I did a show earlier about this, uh, that the president only has seven or eight uh, duties or powers strictly limited. So it, the, the office of the president's always been an important position, but it's not supposed to be so earth shattering that the world's going to come to an end if our person isn't elected. But we, we, we have what they call the imperial presidency, and that's unconstitutional. So if the president got back under his constitutional role, as well as Congress, it would be pretty much a, not such a big issue. Um, there's some good books on the subject, and one of them, uh, I'm actually reading it now, and it's um, it, uh, it was published in 2004. I was going to get a little book, book review. Maybe I'll wait until I finish reading the book, and then I'll discuss it. Um, the New American Magazine, the most recent issue, I think it's a uh, late January issue, has an excellent article on the subject of Electoral College and why we need to keep that, not to go away with it. <coughs> and it mentioned that the, uh, le- the electoral voters, it kind of works like this. States, um, state political parties will choose at their annual or their, at their convention. <coughs> 
at their convention, they will choose the uh, delegates of the electoral voters. These are usually people who are party activists. And depending on the whoever wins that election in that given state in the primary, I'm sorry, whoever wins the election, the national level. So, so for example, in Ma- living in Massachusetts, the Republican Party has their convention, and at the convention they choose the electoral voters for the uh, election. If the party, uh, if the presidential candidate and vice presidential presidential candidate win in the primary, then uh, not in the primary, but in the in, in the federal outcome of the election then the Republican delegates or electoral voters will meet at uh, the state house and it's, uh, it's December. There's a certain time and time they do meet and they cast their ballot and that is then transmitted to, to the Congress where the vice president sits and counts the ballots and declares the winner. If the Dem in this case, Massachusetts, the Democrats, uh, Hillary won. Um, so the Democrats, who are the electoral voters showed up, cast a vote, and the, the the votes were transmitted. Now, some states have strict laws or laws against uh, wayward delegates or wayward electoral voters. Some states don't. In some cases, they're bound and uh, they're bound to vote for the person elected in the popular the popular election. But there's been some wayward uh, voters over the years. Not many. I actually met one gentleman in 1968 or 72. He voted for Governor Wallace over Nixon. Uh, Dr. Lloyd, um, oh, he lives in South Carolina, North Carolina. But anyway, uh, but I've, I'm looking at a history. There haven't been that many uh, over the course of the last uh, 100 years or so. I was surprised. I thought there'd be more. And I think this past election, I think there were a couple of Republicans that didn't go for Trump, but there were, I think, five or six electoral votes for Hillary, that um, Democrat electoral voters that went for somebody else. So it was very interesting. So <clears throat> We do not want to uh, give up the Electoral College at all. It's uh, a very important thing. And by the way, it wasn't even referred to as Electoral College until years later. That was something that came up you know, as time went on. So uh, these are some very important points. Well, we got about four minutes left. And I, I want to just talk a little bit about our camp in the next four minutes, if I could, our family camp and some of the things that we offer. Um, this uh, This whole program, this Camp Constitution, is only possible because <coughs> we have some generous people that make this happen, not just generous with their money, but generous with their time and their influence in some cases. Uh, we have a shoestring budget. We do a lot with a little. And uh, this this particular next couple of months, we're, uh, next month, February, we're doing an information table at a gun show in Nashville, New Hampshire. And homeschool show, the main homeschoolers, we're doing their annual convention in Rockland, Maine, which is on the coast. And then uh, April, we're doing a um, homeschool show in Worcester, the Massachusetts Hope, H-O-P-E, Homeschoolers Association there. It's uh, a great venue for us. We're also doing a homeschool show in New Jersey, and there'll be some other activities. And we do these homeschool shows as not just to attract people to our camp but it's also done as an outreach we go out there with our with our information some of the things that we've published uh we'd like to uh, help teach people about the constitution so it's not just getting people to camp but learn about this great constitution and we offer a little 10 question quiz and it sort of gets them over the table take a free uh, here's a, 
a raffle. Uh, you win the raffle, you get a tuition at camp. Uh, but I'd like to think that while most of the people that come by our table aren't going to come, aren't going to actually come to camp, a lot of them are still influenced by our presence there, uh, positively influenced because of what we have to offer them. And uh, a lot of good parents, <clears throat> if the homeschool parents, if the Constitution and history is not their thing, they might be into science, they might be into other uh, other subjects. Then they're then in many cases their their um, children might be a little bit deficient on on the, on the Constitution on history. I mean, you might get a homeschooler who's just a computer whiz, can start a business when he's 12 years old, <clears throat> fix things or have it because that the parents are good at that. They might be science te- teachers or mathematicians or what have you. <clears throat> but uh, so. So just like in our family, science and math aren't my strong points, so we have to rely on other other programs and even people to put us up to up to par with on that subject. So so that's an important aspect of of what we do, and it's possible again by uh, by the generosity. So I'm encouraging the listeners to visit our website, and we also want to expand the camp program. Uh, we'd like to have other camps around the country, and that requires a lot of work and, and some money. <clears throat> so, if you're interested, please contact us. We'd be happy. You don't have, even have to come under a sort of our umbrella. You know, it doesn't have to be a camp constitution. We'd like to give you some advice and and help you get the ball rolling. But we do want to establish other camp constitutions. We do have a particular worldview and perspective that might be different from others and that's the important thing to maintain that uh, that integrity of our worldview so uh, you've been listening to camp constitution wbcq of the planet which is heard every monday night <coughs> at 7:30 p.m eastern standard time and on ipm nation you can also visit us on your, our website but also youtube uh, please go to our YouTube channel, simply listed as Camp Constitution, and um, like our like our channel, and share our videos. Uh, we did a lot. We have a lot of great videos. We just uploaded on uh, the Robert Brown's presentations in New Hampshire and Maine. So with that, thank you for listening. God bless, and until next week. This is Hal Shirtliff of Camp Constitution.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.